Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to sport our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Hemp Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. Andy, it's hard to believe we've been having weekly conversations about movies since 2011. Oh, you're telling me. Producing this show week after week is so much fun, but it does require a ton of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, one easy way is by using our Originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered. Your purchases made through our links give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these great discussions. The Originals page at thenextreel.com slash originals has links to purchase the source material behind our adapted film discussions. Your purchases there help support the show at no extra cost. For the entirety of Season 11, we featured films directed by women. The only exceptions were some of our member bonus episodes. We talked about the lure for our horror debuts series, which is a very loose adaptation of The Little Mermaid by Hans Christian Andersen. Definitely miles from the Disney versions. <laughs> for our 10-year anniversary series, we covered We Need to Talk About Kevin, taken from the Lionel Shriver novel. Man, that was brilliant. And horrifying. Yeah. The Journalist series included Merrily We Go to Hell and The Weight of Water, adapted from Anita Shreve's bestseller. We filled some gaps in previous series with member bonus episodes on adaptations like Malcolm X, Mr. Blandings Builds His Dream House, Cactus Flower, Wild at Heart, Life Force, and The Blues Brothers. Our John Hurd series looked at a trio of adaptations, Chilly Scenes of Winter from the novel by Ann Beatty, Awakenings based on Oliver Sacks' nonfiction book, and Rambling Rose adapted from the Calder Willingham novel. Two films in our coming-of-age debut series were adapted from books, The Virgin Suicides from Jeffrey Eugenides and The Diary of a Teenage Girl, Phoebe Gluckner's graphic novel. We had Queen of Cotway for our sports series based on Tim Crothers' nonfiction book. And Clueless kicked off our 90s comedy series loosely adapted from Jane Austen's Emma. It totally took place in the 90s, though. <laughs> Find all of these books and more adaptations on our Originals page at thenextreel.com slash originals. Start your next read from the movies we've covered. Visit thenextreel.com slash originals today. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to the next reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. Salam Bombay is over. So, you've lost your heart. Andy. Pete. I don't, I, I feel like this, this movie represents the, the, only the latest in the next reel's efforts to name series in a way that is <laughs> largely inappropriate to the emotional or literal tone of the movies that we watch in them. Journalist series was not about journalists. And John Hurd barely had John Hurd in it as a percentage of screen time. Uh, and now we're doing our coming-of-age debuts in which the first movie 
is hard and much less of a coming of age debut than I would I would think of when you say, oh, it's a coming of age movie. Is that fair? <laughs> is that fair? Um, I, I don't know. It has an exclamation point in the title. It makes you think this is going to be fun. Exclamation points say fun. So I think you're now you're you're now talking about two things. Coming of age films. I think this is a coming of age film. I think it's a story about this kid trying to figure out how to survive and everything. Yeah. And it starts it starts and ends in exactly the same place. We'll talk about that. Um, mm, mm-hmm. Well, OK. I but then as far as the uh, the the exclamation point and the the expectations for the film, I suppose that's a different um, a different thing altogether. And it, maybe it's just because I knew, I knew what this film was. I wasn't surprised by it. And I think that you didn't know what this film was. So you were surprised because you were expecting a little bit more of kind of a Bollywood musical. Well, uh, let's just say I did make jokes uh, many times just to myself as I was watching it about, Oh, this is where the musical number is. It's coming. It, I'll just tell you, if you're new to the film, it never comes. They watch a musical number in the movie theater. There you go. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I guess you're right. Yeah. I've, but you're I've right. Really this is had. this this is the kickoff of our coming of age debuts series with uh, Mira Nair's uh, film, um, her debut uh, narrative feature film. Uh, she had done four documentaries before this, but this is her uh, dipping her toes into the land of features, and so. Um, and I think we're doing seven films in this series, so it should be... It's a big one. It should be a, a good exploration of this. And I, I think we'll probably save this for when we do our retake episode, which is, you know, a, a, a member episode at the end of our series when we talk about kind of the entire series as a whole and how everything fit in and whatnot. But uh, just as a cursory comment, I I think just based on the film's that I have already seen from this series that I think the coming of age debuts probably fits it pretty well. Okay. Well, I'm sh- I know, I, I know it's right. And, and yes, I know that coming of age movies aren't always fun in most of the time you, you come of age and it's uh, challenging, but I will say I'm, I'm standing by the exclamation point thing. That is uh bait and switch. That's what it is. Hmm. Bait and switch. Hello, Bombay is just like it's the name of a morning show on TV. And uh, so there you go. Well, the other title uh, that they had been going with, and I don't know if it was named this in some places where it was released or not, was Chal Bombay Chal, which um, I'm not exactly sure uh, what that means. Let's see. This was Hindi, right? So. I don't know. When I do a translation of, uh, oh, it says, let's go Bombay would have been the Chal Bombay Chal. Then it sounds like a sports movie. So I don't know if that would have helped you. No, no, that's a terrible idea. But maybe if they just left it Chal Bombay Chal and you didn't know that it meant let's yes. go Bombay, you would have been okay. But doesn't it, I mean, let's go Bombay, let's go, right? That's what it sounds oh, no, like no. to me. That's what uh, it right, is. but I'm just saying, if it was just Chal Bombay Chal and you didn't know what it translated to, then you would have that would have been the best case scenario for you with the title, probably. Which clearly you're having issues with. I, I it is traitorous. I think you should start watching movies without knowing what the titles are. <laughs> I did. I started with the Batman. I didn't know what that was. Okay. Well, um, this film, when it was released, uh, was uh, here in the in the states, was not rated but uh this is a film that deals with um, homeless children living on the streets of bombay uh drug use uh there is uh prostitution there is stabbing so it's probably not a children friendly movie and we'll be talking about all that stuff in this conversation today Hey, you want to watch this movie and help us out? Well, if you see an Apple or Amazon link to this movie in our show notes, uh, you click on it. It will take you right to the site. You can rent or buy the movie. When you do this, 
We get a little piece in return. Now, in the case of this particular movie, it might be a little tricky to watch on those services because it is not there. That being said, if you look at the other movies that we're talking about, you can do that with those links and uh, and it'll help us out. So, uh, Andy, truestory.fm slash TNR merch. Uh, what is the merch um, artifact for this, this show? Do you have any ideas? Is it just a bloody knife? <laughs> you know what? You know what would be? It, it's so small a part of the film but I, I can't help but feel like, uh, you know, like a, a, you know, a circus tent coming down with the name of the circus from the very beginning of this film. <laughs> That's what I would want. A deflating circus tent? Or like just a circus mid, tent, but mid-fall. with the name of the circus there. Yeah. What was the okay, name of the circus? so circus, the circus. We're going to brand the circus on shirts, stickers, mugs, masks, pillows, and more. Again, truestory.fm slash GNR merch. Uh, the Salon Bombay Circus. Get it now. Get it while it's hot. Uh, we would love to feature some audio reviews from you, our dear listeners. Just send us your audio file over to reviews at truestory.fm once you watch the film. We just might showcase your voice on the show. You got to get it in quick, though, because we do record about two weeks in advance. So get it sent to us as soon as you watch the movie. And as I said, you just may be featured in the show. Again, send it to reviews at truestory.fm. And if you're wondering where you can see what movies we're talking about in the coming weeks and for the rest of the season, you can find our entire series rundown on our Letterboxd HQ page. While you're there, sign up for a pro or patron membership with the discount code NEXTREEL or just visit thenextreel.com slash Letterboxd and you'll get 20% off and it works for renewals as well. Hey, and you know... A way that you can uh, support the show, if you're a fan of the show, is uh, to become a member of the show. Uh, we use Memberful, which is part of Patreon. It's integrated right into our own website. And you can become a member either month to month or at the annual rate, and you get all sorts of goodies. The great thing about Memberful is you can also, uh, member, Memberful and Patreon, is that you can actually subscribe directly through Spotify if you're a Spotify user. That's true. If you sign Once you sign up as a member... You, it'll take you straight to a page where it says, hey, you can subscribe to your very special bespoke member podcast feed. Uh, and up until very recently, Spotify has not been uh, a service that's available to do that. But they have figured it out. You can now subscribe to the show in Spotify. You just It'll take you straight to the show in Spotify where you will verify your account with Memberful and tie your Spotify and Memberful accounts together. And then those things will sync and then you can subscribe to the show in Spotify. If you happen to listen to your podcasts in Spotify, you can now get the member feed in Spotify. So, uh, you know, bully for Spotify. There you go. We, we, uh, one good thing about Spotify, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> <laughs> or you could listen to the podcast in any number of other open platforms, and we encourage you to do so. But if That's you right. happen to love Spotify, you can get it. We encourage you to explore other options as well. <laughs> Please. Um, but if you become a member, whether it's through Spotify or our website, uh, you get all sorts of bonus episodes. We do a monthly member bonus episode. Um, in February, we just did... Cactus Flower, which is filling in a gap in our Ingrid Bergman series. And for March, we're going to be doing Wild at Heart, which is uh, filling in a gap in our Couples on the Run series. And so that's one of the things we do. And members get to vote on what we're going to be talking about each month. We also do a flick chart re-ranking each month where we you know, battle it out and kind of re-rank the movies on our flick chart. And this season, we have a new members-only episode. Uh, that at the end of each series, as I mentioned earlier, members get to have what we call the retake episode. And that is kind of an, uh, a, a macroscopic view of the entire series, kind of looking at the entire thing and uh, us kind of chatting a little bit about what we got out of that series. Yes, you can. I love how you, you've said macroscopic. It made you sound so smart. 
so smart. <laughs> you can find out when we're recording those macroscopic shows or any of our microscopic shows and where you can listen into the di- live stream anywhere where on our live calendar at uh, truestory.fm slash TNR live. Uh, and that's just a Google Calendar embed. And you can click on the little Google Calendar button if you want to add that calendar to your own calendar. And then you'll get uh, updated when we move recording times around, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Again, you can listen to the show live in Discord as we record it in the live stream playground channel for supporters. If you'd like to learn more, just go to truestory.fm slash TNR membership. Most membership will cost you is $5 per month or $55 per year. There's a couple of things that we know, like we're both seasoned podcasters. And we're both geeks. Hey, we're both dads of amazing daughters. We're both Gen X. But there is some things we don't know. Like what? Well, like what each episode of our new show is going to be about. How can we not know that? We're making the show. Yeah, but here's the thing. You're going to bring five things to talk about, and so am I. But we won't know what the other host is bringing. So it could be anything. Uh, A new story about a Marvel show. uh, A cool toy that's coming out. uh, A play we just saw. Even a weird thing from a drawer. And it'll be a surprise for us and for our audience. And what are we calling this show? Oh, that's the part we do know. It's called 10 Random Things. You know, throwing in this random element, the show could go off the rails really fast. Oh, oh, yes, I I hope it does. And we're also going to do it live. Wait, what? Yeah, that's right. 10 Random Things will be streamed live on Wednesdays at 5 p.m. Arizona time. All right, Andy. Salam, Bombay. (laughs) Uh, Mir Nair film. Uh, tells a story of uh, kids living on the street and the lives they lead with the prostitutes and the drug dealers and uh, all of the thievery. I mean, it's kids on the street, but it's really a community, right? Because yeah. there, there are the kids, there are kind of, there's the pimp, there's the madam who runs the brothel, there's the... Um, uh, the drug, the drug dealer, right? So we've got kind of a wide variety of casts. I mean, we're definitely following um, a number of the kids, primarily um, the one uh, as our main child. Yes, but it is uh, kind of a, it's it's really kind of a glance at this particular uh, community, and so it's it's a very interesting look at this world. And um, yeah, I was I was. Uh, uh, quite taken by the strength of the performances, especially these kids who we'll talk about are really street kids and uh, just really kind of um, fascinated by the struggles that they went through and, and how challenging life was. And, uh, you know, uh, Brian brought up in our Discord chat room the interesting comparison um, with Slumdog Millionaire, which came out in 2008, which is, you know, uh, 20 years later. And it's interesting to see this is, <laughs> in, in those 20 years, I was like, it doesn't feel like the the kind of society in India has sorted this issue out. <laughs> no, it, it does not feel like that. To me either and i and i think there is hmm i struggled with the with the movie a, a little bit in that regard because um y- you know it it feels like who is who is the movie for right it there this is one of those movies that could very well be designed to um to to target people who need to, to who need to see it who need to see what's going on in this this part of the world in these in these sort of <laughs> the microscopic uh, culture whiplash of what's going on on this block on this city on this street and uh, and and it feels so normal right it the way it is presented and the way our protagonist is integrated into this world so quickly. Um, it, it just feels very normal. And I was really struck by that. Like, is this movie is this movie designed 
to uh, to make me as a white guy open my eyes to this other part of the world? Is this is, is this film in in some part an advocacy film, um, especially knowing that Mir Nair is a uh, first and foremost was a documentarian and that this was a story that she felt she needed to tell in a way that was, as you said, with all the, the kids who were really street kids uh, in a way that was essentially fictionalized documentary. I mean, I, I think they just call that a, you know, a, a, a narrative a drama. A narrative but, drama. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's a, a narrative story that's just depicting real life. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but I mean, I, but clearly, do you think it, they should call it a fictional? <laughs> whatever documentary. I think I think they should call documentaries a true fiction. <laughs> a true fiction. God, how dumb! It's so oh. early today, Andy. It's so early. Clear, I apologize clearly for you. Clearly I apologize you. in advance for the rest of the dumb stuff that comes out of my mouth. <laughs> I I mean I I mean it's it's interesting, and, and certainly when you go to a third world country and you you see this firsthand and you really get a sense of the the struggles that people go through and and the challenges and you know there are people who just you know they can't afford their kids and so they sell them off and or their kids run away or whatever happens and you end up with just so many uh, street kids who are just surviving on the streets like these kids are and it's it is kind of a fact of life and I think that it is I mean I don't know if I would call it a film that's made for us specifically but I think it's it's a film that's just made you know to kind of show people you know, like this is this is reality for a lot of people like this is the way it is yeah and just giving us a sense of normal I guess I would say as we're watching this film in in how it explores the um the the sense of the grit the grime the crime the drama the friendships the um the you know the fights uh, just kind of everything that you have to deal with when you're growing up like this whether it's some strange man who starts chasing you for some reason like we have when he first gets to the city or or you know just being aware of when police are nearby so that you get out of the way as quickly as possible because you don't want to end up getting caught by them and accused for something that you may or may not have even done. And so I found it to be a, a really interesting exploration of this world and the people in it. And uh, I, I don't know. For me, this was a story that I, I think it's important to to tell these sorts of stories and to watch these sorts of stories so that you just... You know, it's it's taking that walk in the other person's shoes and, and just getting a sense of what life is like. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I, I think it really, you know, when you talk about how she made the film, like to, to really demonstrate these kids lives and doing so in a way that's super authentic, I think is is important. I also think that it's a film that by documenting street life, it really does have this this overarching theme of of, you know, what is what is freedom? Like, what does it mean to to truly be free? And uh, you know, I I find myself walking that line in this film, you know, between the people who live on the street, they can on one hand go wherever they want. But on the other hand, they're living lives in fear and, uh, you know, all the time. Um, and and it's so easy for us to start taking that for for granted, you know, and uh, and so I, I think that is a that's definitely a thing when you look at the way the kids sort of um own the street they only own it so far until they're you know picked up and put in a in a facility you know at the end i think that was a that was a hard thing to watch but and yet they were able to just scurry out of it it seemingly effortlessly well they did have to scale a a a, a ladder covered in, in barbed wire <laughs> and a fence over that there. was fantastic actually that should probably be our our shirt <laughs> this is a barbed wire ladder <laughs> Well, and what I what I um, appreciate about uh, the world of these kids, because yeah, it does it does feel like they own the street to a certain sense. They're tough. They've they've been toughened by the street. But you also have these quiet moments where we're looking at at Krishna, our lead kid, and he's like you know in a room by himself, and he um, he pulls out a top, and he is just kind of trying to play with the top, but while he's 
trying to not cry, you know, and and those moments uh, happen throughout this film where it's just like, I mean, these are kids. And sometimes you forget that it's just a little kid having to go through this as part of their life and how challenging that is. And yeah, they have to be tough, but also, I mean, they're scared and they're like, you know, very lost and just unsure what to do. And I mean, he's stuck in this life. And, you know, there's the shop owner that he's selling uh, tea for who tells him, like, you know, I don't know why you, you know, you'd be better off if you would just go get an education. This isn't a life for you. But it's like, what's he going to do? Just like figure out how to go to school all on his very own. And so it's like <laughs> the adults in this film really do nothing to to kind of help the the societal ills that we have here. It's just they might complain about the kids and say, you'd be better off getting an education. But he still just uses the kids and, and you know, has them sell his tea and and dings them for for stuff. And it, it's it it's a it's a system that uh, isn't going to be fixed the way that it's running as we see here. Well, and that's what gets me back to this concept of freedom, because when you look at these kids and I think they they do, uh, Nair does an actually a, a really good job of of demonstrating that even like the guy selling tea, like the shopkeepers, the prostitutes, the the pimp, the, like they're all just grown kids, right? They're behaving very much the same way that the kids are. And and I it, that came clear to me when uh, Krishna goes back after he escapes the, you know, over over the the barbed ladder and down the 20 foot wall. He gets back to his little corner in the brick wall and he takes out his brick. And the money's gone. And the new Chillum is there. Right. The the guy who's replaced his buddy Chillum and taken on his name. Um, and he's older, but he's not that much older. And I just realized, oh, my gosh, I get it now. Like this is a story about all these people of all ages who are trapped in the very same way on this street. Like, they probably grew up on the street this way. They found their way to a certain level of, of um, you know, of modest fortune relative to the street, and they're able to take part in the hierarchy. And, and then they are able to disregard the kids just the way they were disregarded. It's a cycle that never, uh, that, that is never, or at least not easily, broken and this movie tells the story of it being not broken yeah i mean even like i i I looked at sweet 16 and i looked at the brothel uh the madam and i was like she probably is doing this because when she was uh a young child she was also sold as a virgin to be deflowered by somebody for a ridiculous amount of money and and she just looks at sweet 16 there's probably a little bit of jealousy uh, jealousy and also like she i i feel like she uses these children as a way like she she's fine taking them in to sell them as a way to get back at the people who did it to her you know and it, it, it's almost like a weird revenge thing that she'll never be able to get herself out of because yeah she herself was probably um used that same way and it's it's really kind of horrifying Well, and that's the sad part, because you realize like she was used that way and she is now using people that way and she'll never get out of it, as you say, because because she can't stop taking advantage of kids like they're animals on the street, like they're just rogue, like, you know, diseased animals. And she finds this one gem and it might as well be a literal gem, like she treats it like a gem uh, with that much respect, like it's its value is only in its monetary relationship to her. And um, and and I think that is a that's a powerful like observation that and that's what this this movie feels to me. It's like a snow globe of of, you know, hate and jealousy and fear and, um, you know, struggle. And uh, you see Baba kind of at the center of it as Mm -hmm. the person who is the uh, I mean, they call him kind of a pimp, like everybody sees him as a pimp. It's only his own wife that he is. prostituting as far as i can tell he seems to be kind of tied in with the madam at the brothel but i don't think he's directly involved it seems like if anything he might have once been the neighborhood pimp and he was the one who would break the girls as we learn uh, for uh for the uh, for the madam and uh, and uh, but but then he kind of you know got his wife pregnant 
And, and it seemed like he was making a change. That's kind of the promise that his wife said that he made to her, had the kid, but then just continued to prostitute her out. And it's, it's, uh, I don't know. And then he's also the drug dealer. And so uh, he's (laughs) a really diversified is what we call that. (laughs) Yeah, right. Exactly. But he's a really interesting character in the way that he kind of rules the roost here in the neighborhood, even though like there's it doesn't seem like he has that much of a hold over things. And and I mean, you know, we have um, Chillum who actually kind of says that to him, like, you know, what 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 do you have? That's the holding over all of this. And, I mean, Chillum never is able to quite get himself together because he's so addicted to the drugs, the hash, that he can't take over the neighborhood. And it really, I mean, the the crazy thing is that it takes Krishna, when he's trying to help um, uh, uh, Baba's wife, uh, Rekha, to kind of get out of that situation. And he's the one, as a young child, who ends up kind of uh, stabbing Baba in the back and, and killing him. And it's... Um, you know, kind of a, a shocking twist that this is where our kid has come to. Well, it really is. And, um, you know, that is that is an interesting sequence to me, right? That we, we get the scene where Krishna comes in, rescues Rika by stabbing Baba in the back and running out into the street. So here we have Krishna taking some agency, right, and and growing up. I mean, that's what it happens in an instant. He he we see him grow up. And I think in, um, you know, in other movies, maybe that would be overcoming the struggle and becoming, you know, he would he would be taking uh, power from the one who has power and becoming powerful in some way himself. Right. That would be the the uh, the heroic transformation of our antihero kind of alternative. That's, well, right? and we saw that story in the recent The White Tiger. Which exactly. hundred percent. Similar st- story. Yeah. Right. This movie, we don't get to see that because we you know, this happens at the very end of the movie, the stabbing, and he gets separated from the adult. And we're immediately re-injected with that fear on behalf of this youth who is lost in a crowd, and we are left with him alone on the stairs. He doesn't take power. He's he's spinning his top. He's winding his top again. And he is, alas, alone again as a child on the streets. It is the circle of life that doesn't ever allow him to to break it. And... um it it is just a hollow sort of empty uh feeling that i am left with as i watch this like this is just utter hopelessness he can't he can't break it and that last shot i mean of him looking directly into the camera lens yeah. i mean it it feels like there's a little bit of of you know judgment on the viewer yeah. you know like this you know look at look at my life look at what i'm doing and nobody's doing anything about it are you going to do anything about it um, you know, there's a little bit of that, which I, I found to be quite powerful. But also, it's not like there's his look has an edge to it also. And it makes you think that, you know, he could sadly grow up to be the next Baba. You know, I mean, this is his world. Sweet 16 was taken away. She is no she she has been brainwashed. She is no longer um, interested in leaving with him. Well, yeah, let's uh, we got to lean in on that, that she has been brainwashed and loves Baba in right then. And now Baba is dead. So Krishna killed Baba. Now Krishna is alone. And really, all he wanted was Sweet 16. And now, like, he's in this place where he's killed Baba, but there's going to be this empty hole. Is he going to be the one who takes over? And, And so. It's it's an interesting exploration of this this continuation that they just can't get out of the cycle. And it's um you know, it's a very tragic view of this world, which but it's powerful. And I mean it's not the slumdog millionaire, uh everything's gonna be great because I won this game show sort of ending where we, we dance with I mean, that's the one that ends with the Bollywood musical that you were yep. so wanting to have in here this one really is the story of those kids in the slum who never get out of the slum it's it's the it's the friends of the guy who got out who who got out by winning the the game show who never were able to actually make it <laughs> <laughs> i yeah I, you know i think this this movie is um you know, it's in alignment with the hard stuff that you get in like City of God, right? Like that's, it's hard. It's hard. And it's hard all the way through. And um, 
and I struggle with it. I have to tell you, though, by the time we get to the end, I did start feeling a little bit more transparently manipulated. And I didn't I didn't care for it. I didn't care for it. And I think it's because I like as we see them separated, I, I felt like I'd seen it coming. And uh, and by the time he's sitting alone on the stairs and he looks into the camera, I just I felt like, OK, you're now I get what you're doing. It's it's transparent. And I think it's less sad than maybe it should be. I have less of an emotional reaction to it than I should um, because, you know, I saw it coming because I saw around the corner and and I didn't care for it. Did you did you were you moved? Did you like it? I did. I, I also I mean, I, I, I think that this is one of those stories that you kind of see it coming from the start of the film. Like, I, I don't think that this is a film that makes you feel like there's going to be a happy ending. Like, I never felt like it was going to end happily. I always just kind of, you know, said this is it's going to be one of these films that's a tough film about a tough world. And I don't know if they'll ever find uh, true, um, you know, truly be saved from this story. And so I, it wasn't, I, I didn't feel like I was, I don't know, I guess I kind of felt like it went where I was expecting from the beginning. Um, but I don't think that, the, I thought that, I thought that was the intention from the start. Like this is like what we've just been saying, like it's this vicious cycle and it's not going to break. So. Well, um, I, okay. I, I, just so it's very clear, I am one, not afraid of unhappy endings. I, I, I'm okay with unhappy endings. And two, I really am joking when I talk about how I expected it to be a, uh, fun and funny movie because of the exclamation point. I'll lean in on the joke, but I believe that I knew very quickly what the movie was going to be about. I got it. And I really honestly didn't expect there to be any Bollywood dance numbers. All of those things. I just want to get no, that all but- on the table. I'm the just saying end because of the movie you, you felt manipulating to me when he looks in the camera and I found that specifically distasteful. That's strange. Um, you know, I, I, I thought that was actually strong filmmaking. I think that it's it's bold to have a story where your character looks you in the eye like that and, and breaks the fourth wall in a way to uh, to kind of make the point. And so I, I didn't find it distasteful. I, I mean, are you finding it distasteful in a in just in cinematically in general or in as like a modern through modern eyes? I mean, would you have found it distasteful had you seen this in 1988 when it came out? Yeah, I, well, I, I don't know. I mean, I didn't. Uh, and so um, to me, it, it just really leaned in on the fact that this is the, that this movie was taking its its um, fully taking the reins of its advocacy. Like now you've seen this story and now go do something about it. And um, I, I didn't care for that because you walk away from a film with that feeling. At least I walk away from a film with that feeling and I, I stand up and I go in and I, you know, rinse out my glass from whatever I was drinking. And I think, well, now I feel terrible because I'm clearly not doing enough. And because I didn't see the movie enough or early enough, I haven't been doing enough to solve the problems of the world. And uh, and and so I don't it, I don't care for that. Do you blame the filmmaker then? Because, I mean, clearly it's I mean, it's a documentary filmmaker coming in to tell this story and she's making a choice to to do exactly that. And, and it's you saying, I don't like you telling me I need to do something. But I mean, isn't that kind of what art and filmmaking is? Yeah, but that's like I would buy that if it were a documentary film, like if this were set up as a documentary film. Right. This is this is not ostensibly that kind of film. And I felt like that was a manipulating thing that I, that didn't hit me right. Are, are you saying films shouldn't manipulate you? No, Andy, <laughs> come on. Let me tell come you. on, man. No, now you're you're just you're just trolling now. I'm, you get I'm not. You understand you, it's, what I'm it's talking a about. shocking. It's a shocking thing to say. I don't like her manipulating me because she made me feel bad. There is a difference. No, there is a difference between being manipulated in a satisfying way in a film and being manipulated in a way that allows you to see the intention, the the script. And for me, it just feels like it feels, you know, possibly too overt. I didn't care for it. And, And that makes it like the whole movie. It's a good movie and it tells a hard story and it's okay to tell a hard story. And I get it. And I, I, I enjoyed the ride. I didn't end up loving the film as a result of how I felt in the last, like, 10 minutes. Huh. Interesting. 
Okay. You know, I, I, and it's, it's fine. It's unsettling. There are strong performances all around, especially the kids, especially, especially, especially the kids, uh, because they were, they're fantastic. And, uh, we have two points that I really want to make sure we talk about related to the kids. One is the kids aren't actors, or at least they weren't when they started. Yeah. It's really interesting because they were street children and they, uh, I, I'm not exactly sure how they found this particular group of kids, but um, they put them through some dramatic training at a workshop uh, to kind of give them a better sense of uh, like how to actually perform. Um, it, it does look like they had about 130 kids do the rehearsal and they brought it down to uh, a smaller number and uh, kind of, you know, had them go through this. And what it actually sounds like is that in the process of this, Nair and her her co-writer, uh, Suni, let me try this, Suni Taraporavala. Nice job. I think I got that right. Um, it, it sounds like they actually got a lot of these stories from the kids about the way that this world worked with the sex trafficking, uh, the drugs, gangs, uh, the way that they were used and abused uh, from the actual kids. And they incorporated that into the story as they were putting it together, which is uh, pretty crazy. To know that a lot of this is kind of based on their real lives. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I think that's the you know a, a, after the the film was released, um, Mira Nair and she started an organization called Salam Balak Trust, and uh, the effort of that trust was to go about rehabilitating the kids who were in the film, and they brought in a team of of workers, uh, psychologists, and and uh, medical workers to to work as a part of the trust, helping these kids uh, on the street. And I felt like that is great, because I think that's the only way to ethically make a movie like this, doing it the way she did, is to actually find the kids, train the kids, help the kids figure out how to how to be reunited with their families in some cases. Like, they, they did, they, they went the extra mile to actually, um, you know, effect change. Uh, which which is great because they're the ones that are hands on in the street. I thought it was really powerful. And I I, I saw that uh, Nair had been a fan of uh, the film uh, Pichote, the Brazilian film. About I haven't seen a, it. Have you seen uh, it? You know, I haven't. I and I own it. Uh, I bought it in a box set. Um, it's just one of the ones I haven't gotten to, but it's been one I've been wanting to watch for a very long time. Um, but, uh, it is about a 10 year old kid living on the streets of Brazil who, um, is, um, very much kind of also in this world of crime and everything. Um, and she heard news that that kid who played the lead in the film was actually shot dead in the street. And so, um, part of that, part of that story was one reason she was very determined to make this film and then very determined to start up that trust to kind of help kids out of this so um i think that's uh you know pretty powerful that she that kind of it led to that i you know i that makes the this is another one of those stories where the the making of the movie is uh, you know at least as interesting as the movie itself like i i think it's it's really great it, it it's great to hear ab about these kids and and you know i don't know i, I um did the kids go on? Did any of the kids go on to do more stuff? Um, I know, I know that the actor who played um, Krishna Safik uh, or Shafik Saeed uh, did do one other thing. Yeah, uh, Patang, which was um, just a few years later. But then, it, it, according to an article in 2013, he had gone on to become an auto rickshaw driver in um bangalore so you know he didn't continue in the acting world and um i'm not really sure um uh, like manju uh this was uh her only film she was the little girl and so uh, yeah i don't know i i mean it, since they were street kids i i my only the only thing that the that it says is that these kids were reunited with their families and their medical treatment was paid for and stuff like that uh, through this organization. So if anything, I'd like to think at least they were able to kind of get out of this world that they had found themselves in. Um, the speaking of the world that they are in, uh, Nana Patekar, the actor who plays Baba Golub, is that true? He was really stabbed. That's apparently so. Apparently, um, uh, the 
the the kid who plays uh, Krishna didn't quite understand the direction as to what he was supposed to be doing. And when he went to stab him, apparently, he, I don't think it was like a full on stabbing stabbing, but apparently he uh, did actually stab him. So, <laughs> yowch. Oh yeah, that's that's not fun. That is wow. Fun. Wow. 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 Well, I I thought his performance. Now I recognize it's uh, it was an outstanding performance. <laughs> his stabbing. Uh, he's been in a lot of stuff. I have, I haven't seen anything else that he's been in. He's got ninety nine credits, uh, but I really liked him. I liked his uh, his performance, and I liked his vibe on screen uh, uh, as the. He's a complicated criminal, right? Because, like you already described, he makes that turn, right? We we get the sense that he has this his criminal history, and he's still in a criminal present, but less so. And does that make him a greater uh, affinity character? Like, is that somebody that we <laughs> that we kind of get to like? I, I enjoyed the complexity of my feelings with him as as we went from scene to scene. Well, especially like I was really fascinated once uh, toward the the last act of the film when we have Krishna and Manju, they had been arrested and, and taken to, you know, a separate boys and girls prison. And we have that scene where Rekha and Baba come visit Manju in the prison. And the my initial reaction was like, oh, my God, like they're telling her we miss you. We can't wait to get you out but they're going to leave her there. Like that was my initial impression. And I think as far as Nana was, or as Baba was concerned, he would have been fine doing that. You know, I think that he, he would have been like, yeah, whatever. I don't, I am fine not having to deal with kids. Rekka, you know, it was actually kind of a surprise for me to see that she came back. I guess it wasn't because she really did seem stuck on having the, the daughter with her more so than Baba. Mm-hmm. But that scene, and this was, a, a, this was the one moment that, um, you could really feel, uh, I, I guess, in context of that documentary approach of like saying like, this is what's best for the kids. When you had the person who worked at the hospital talking to Rekka about, you know, she hasn't talked since she's been here. Do you think maybe she's better off being here than with you? And that hard conversation that she had with the mom, like, you know, you should let her go and let her be taken in by a family who can care for her and who can give her a better life other than living with a prostitute. And, um, you know, she could potentially make something of herself. And that's it's that that hard moment for a parent who really doesn't have their act together to to realize the best thing for my child is for me to actually step away from them. Well, especially when we get the very best scene with her is when we when Krishna first meets them and they have their little dance and she takes off his shirt to dry him and and we get to see her being truly maternal, right? That's how we meet her, not as a prostitute, but as a mother. And so our ride with her is actually it's it's great. I mean, it's really interesting and compelling. And and she, um, you know, and and I think she gets some richness, you know, sort of peppered throughout the film as a result of that that conflict. And that's, I mean, it definitely gives you that hope that at the end that, you know, once Krishna has stabbed Baba, that he, because he knows that Rekha is a maternal figure and could potentially be a mother figure for him if he does never actually make it home to his mom. And so it does, and, and she no longer has her daughter, so maybe Krishna could kind of fill in for her as the child. And so it, it makes that separation all the more difficult when the two people who really need to have that other person are separated and, and um, left alone. Yeah, so the movie is a slow burn peeling away of everyone from everyone else, because that's a really good point. Manju ends up away from her parents in she's in a facility up for adoption. Um, Baba is stabbed lying on the stairs. He has no one. And uh, Chillum is dead. Chillum is dead. Mom is lost in the crowd. And Krishna's on the stairs alone, too. Like, everybody that started together is alone by the end of the movie. And you get the sense that Krishna is never going to, like, even if he gets the $500, is he ever actually going to make it home? Like, yeah. I mean, as as we learned with the the letter writer, which, you know, we should just point out real quick that that's... that's um, Irfan Khan. <laughs> yeah, Irfan Khan, the guy who was, um, uh, has had a much bigger and a fuller career. And this is where he kind of got his start, which is fun to see. But as we learn from that painful scene, like he's helping write this letter for Krishna, taking Krishna's money to write the letter. And then when Krishna leaves, he's just like, where do these damn kids come from? It's a waste of a stamp. He crumples up the letter and throws it away. Yeah. I mean, Krishna doesn't even know 
I mean, there, as the letter writer says, there are so many towns named whatever it was. And this is the one that happens to be somewhere close to Bangalore. And that's like all he has for an address. It's like, uh, it, it, I just don't think that he would ever even know how to figure out a way to get back to his house. I don't think so either. I don't think so either. And uh, that is so sad. We, you know, we haven't really talked about how he ended up in this case, in this situation in the first place, which is, I guess, equally sad, right? Because he's what we find out through the narrative is that before the movie started, he is he, he like set fire to a motorcycle to his um, brother's to, to his, his brother's motorcycle. Yeah, yeah, his brother's motorcycle. His, his brother mom, was a bully. Yeah, right. And so his mom said, "You have to get back five hundred rupees." And you have to go don't work come at home. the circus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't come home until you get it. And so he goes to the circus. But by the time he gets there, the circus is already packing up. So he just gets on a train <laughs> and goes to a city. Yeah. Cause he's working at the circus and yeah, trying he, to earn for his a money. Little bit. And, yeah. And the circus owner says, I need you to go get this stuff for me. And yeah, he goes off to get it. And when he comes back, yeah, the circus has left and yeah. he's been abandoned by the circus. And so he has. Yeah, his only thing to do is... Is that possibly the saddest thing in the story? He was actually... The circus is where you go when you're abandoned, and then the circus abandons you? That's the <laughs> saddest message of the entire thing. <laughs> abandoned by the circus. Abandoned by the circus. It's uh, it's it's tough stuff. Um, uh, You know, this, this poor kid. And I, I think it speaks to this world that... You know, I mean, he's... I don't know how old this, uh, how old was Shafiq? Does IMDb say how old he, when he was born? No, we don't know when he was born, but he looked, I don't know, maybe 11, would you say somewhere in that age? I would say probably, I'm notoriously bad at, at the, uh, ages for kids. Yeah. I know. Even with kids, I'm like, <laughs> uh, I, let's just say he's 11 to tell my 11 year old, Hey, you, you screwed up. Get out of the house. Don't come back till you have $500. Yeah. To pay for all the damage you've done. Like, that's the world that they're growing up in. And, you know, I think for the parents, it's also, that's the world where they're in, where they just, they have no other choice. Like, they probably don't have the money to to take care of the kids, to handle the damaged motorcycle, all of these things. Uh, you know, it's it's a it's a societal ill that just, they, you know, need some, need some repair. Yeah, it really does. And and that I think is from the opening of the movie. I think that this this is the portrait of the street that I think is incredible that they normalize all of this stuff really naturally. Like it just feels like these kids and to the parents like everything that they experience here is just normal. And I think that is uh is a, a central gift of of the movie that it's hard for us to watch but for them it's just life. It's just life, and um, they just settle in with the community that they find, you know, and, and yep. this, that's what he does. He only ends up in this community because there's that strange, homeless-looking man who starts chasing him, and he runs off. He trips some other kid, steals his food, and he runs after that kid who's with Chillum. Fade out. Next time we see him, he's just part of the gang, mm -hmm. and uh, that's how you end up in these in these places. This is this poor guy who's just, you know, found his way um here and you know he's a young child he doesn't know how to get out as i said earlier like that guy's telling him to go get an education what's he gonna do like go to a school and say hey can i start coming to class here he has nothing he has to make money to live it's uh mm -hmm. it's just it's a it's a mess of a society very frustrating yes what's your what's your um background with mira nair have you seen many of her other films no i haven't uh, I haven't seen. I, I don't think I've seen any of her other films. Have you? Are you a Are you a Nair head? Uh, <laughs> I have seen. Uh, uh, I, I feel like there's a Nair joke in there. Nair Nair. Oh, maybe I don't know. Yeah. Um, I, I've seen the namesake. Oh, oh, I have seen. I, I didn't even. Oh, Andy, for crying out loud! I have seen some Mira Nair movies. <laughs> oh my goodness! I've seen Mississippi Masala. Oh. Wow. Uh, so that's one which is not like this. <laughs> a little different. And um, I, I've seen Kama Sutra. Oh my! Yeah, of course yeah. you've seen that one. I know, right? Is that too on the nose? 
it's that that pretty much fits pretty much fits yeah. my yeah. i'm surprised right. that you didn't remember that right away so those i can't, i know i didn't i didn't uh, remember that at, at all so i don't know so you've seen what i i may have seen the perez family i cannot quite remember i i definitely saw the namesake which a lot of people cared for i it, i didn't click with that one but i also feel like i i owe it a rewatch i missed amelia but i think my wife watched that one with a friend and and didn't think it was that great and um and then we're going to be talking about queen of katway um in one of our mm-hmm. upcoming series so that will be another one i haven't seen that one but been curious about it mississippi masala monsoon wedding those are two that i've always wanted to see i know monsoon wedding's been on criterion forever mississippi masala is actually finally getting released uh you know some of her films like mississippi masala and this film are incredibly difficult to track down um but luckily you know people are working on finding ways to do that so um you know i i'm she's a filmmaker that i would like to explore some more because there's some of the stuff that she's done i've been uh interested in and um yeah i i definitely think that uh i do want to kind of check out more of these things me too. I'm. I guess I'm excited to see Queen of Katwe, and um, you know, haven't haven't seen it. Haven't seen the namesake, but it's, it looks really. It looks interesting. The other one is the Reluctant Fundamentalist with Riz Ahmed, uh, which you know, I'm I'm kind of on a Riz Ahmed kick. I I think uh, he's really great, and I hadn't oh, even heard right. hadn't even heard of this movie. So, um, yeah, I'm, I need to put that on the old watch list. I feel like now that I'm looking at that one, I definitely feel like I remember the the trailer of that one back when that came out. That was a 2012 film. Um, but, um, wow, totally, totally spaced that one. Yeah. So definitely something worth uh, looking at. Um, she's done a number of films. Like I, I count four films where she did a segment. So a lot of those, um, those sorts of films that she's been a part of, uh, September 11, uh, New York, I love you eight and words with gods. So what about vanity fair? That's another one that feels like I should, uh, I, I should have, at least seen. I very much remember that one coming out and um it was one that I was I was curious to check out. I think because it was Mira Nair and Julia Julian Fellows mm-hmm. was involved in the script. I think that's what what kind of drew me to that one, but I just and then somehow I missed it and uh then I promptly forgot it. So it's one that I also need to check out. I just I basically I want to watch kind of her whole filmography now. I'm I'm curious to see more of what she's done. Okay. Okay. I will too. So I will okay. open my heart to Mira Nair. There you go. There mm-hmm. you go. Well, um, we will be right back. But first, our credits. The next reel is a production of True Story FM. Engineering by Andy Nelson. Music by Suraj Nepal. Oriel Novella and Eli Catlin. Andy usually finds all the stats for the awards and numbers at the-numbers.com, boxofficemojo.com, imdb.com, and wikipedia.org. For this film, Andy also found some help in the book Women Filmmakers of the African and Asian Diaspora, Decolonizing the Gaze, Locating Subjectivity by Gwendolyn Audrey Foster. Find the show at truestory.fm. If your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, please consider doing that for our show. How to do an award season, Andrew? It did pretty well for itself. This is a film that uh, I think found its way into a lot of hearts when it came out. It had 13 wins with eight other nominations. Over at the uh, Indian National Film Awards, it won Best Feature Film in Hindi, and uh, Shafiq Syed won Best Child Artist. It also won Best Regional Film Hindi. So, uh, yeah, I, I would count that as a, a strong start. At the Cannes Film Festival, it won the Audience Award and it won the Golden Camera, for uh, which is for the best first feature. At the Oscars, this film was nominated for Best Foreign Language Film but lost to Pele the Conqueror, a film I still have yet to see. This, is, this was actually Bollywood's second movie nominated for the Oscar after Mother India back in 1957. At the BAFTAs, it was nominated for Best Film Not in the English Language, but lost to Life and Nothing But. And that the L.A. Film Critics Association Awards, Amira Nair won the New Generation Award. And it was nominated for Best Foreign Language Film, but lost to Wings of Desire. Wings of Desire. I think that uh, 
Steve Sarmento had that on a, a list pick for one of his Saturday matinee uh, appearances recently. I am sure of it. All right. So at the box office, how to do. Well, for Nair's debut feature, she had to fight for all the funding she could get, which wasn't much. She ended up making this movie for $450,000, which is $972,000 in today's dollars. This movie premiered at Cannes in 1988, then it went on to play at TIFF before its U.S. release on October 7th, 1988, opposite Alien Nation, Imagine, John Lennon, and Clara's Heart. Salam Bombay opened in only one screen here, which means that while it opened in 17th place, it had the highest first screen average of any film that week. It eventually would go on to play on 27 screens and earn just over 2 million domestically and 7.4 million internationally, one of the highest grossing Indian films in overseas markets at that time. All told, it earned about 20.5 million in today's dollars, giving the film an adjusted profit per finished minute of 173,000. And with such a low budget, that means it earned just over 21 times its budget back for the investors. Way to go, investors! You did great. <laughs> I would take that that bet. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, again, it's it's a strong movie with a strong message, and uh, I didn't love it, but I'm really glad to have watched it. Um, I do. I I, I, I do want to go watch. Uh, what'd you say? Pichot? Is that how you Pichote. say it? Pichote. I want to see that. I want to watch City of God again. I want to watch all the sad kid movies again, because I, I think I, yeah, I like them. You daren't call them coming of age. <laughs> nope. Sad kids. Sad I, kids. I, I really, uh, really um, <laughs> love this film. I, I was really struck by the strength of the performances and the, the way the story moved and kind of crafted this, um, this society. So yeah, I had a great time. I mean, I don't know if great time is the right word, yeah, the right, right description <laughs> of the my experience with the film, but I found it to be a powerful experience. It was so. such a party, a party in the street. <laughs> party in the streets. Hey, it ends on a party in the streets. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, we will be right back for our ratings. But first, here's the trailer for next week's movie, Slums of Beverly Hills. Beverly Hills, California. A world of wealth, glamour, and privilege. But this is not that Beverly Hills. Let's go to Sizzler. And this is not that movie. Wake up. We're moving. Again, we just got here. Papa loves Mambo. We're staying in Beverly Hills for the good schools. You've got a good address, okay? It happened overnight. She got stacked just like a mother. God. Look at me. I'm like deformed. You've been blessed. Rest how wonderful. I had the business. I was a big shot, too. Do I ever tell you about the time, time that Charlie the, the cook? cook? Okay, wise guy. You know, it's the bod that counts. You ask any guy. If he tells you any different, he's lying to make himself look good so he can get down here. <laughs> Shut up. That shirt looks great on you. Are you staring at my breasts? No. Who's in there? Some freak slipping around your sister. Fox Searchlight Pictures presents Luck be a lady tonight Alan Arkin, Marissa Tomei, and Natasha Leone in a film about having the right zip code It's not normal to move every three months It's normal in some cultures, nomads even if everything else is wrong. Batman, I didn't know you had a mustache. Oh my God, our sister is a hermaphrodite. The whole family is sick. We're freaks. Female problems. <laughs> Slums of Beverly Hills. Remember, never judge a girl by her address. All right, Andy. Here we are at Letterboxd. Uh, here we are. We've arrived. Here we are at the end of the road. To Letterboxd. How are you going to approach your review for this movie? <sighs> I I feel like my um, impressions of this film strengthen the more I think about it. And I feel like this is a powerful film that people should see. I think it's something that um, just gives a sense of the world that, uh, that people live in here. In context of films like Slumdog Millionaire, there's a an interesting comparison about uh, a film in this world that 
stays in this world and a film in this world that feels a little bit fantastical. And I and so I, I appreciate that you can have kind of the two takes on on this sort of world. This is a it's a tough film to watch, um, but I found it to be quite powerful. I feel like I'm going to land on four and a half. Four and a half stars. Okay. I am. I think I'm with you. I uh, again. I did when I when I got out of the movie in the last couple of days. I've been thinking about it. I ended up um, thinking that it was uh, solid three stars. I don't know if you know this, but I'm trying not to do half stars. I immediately broke that rule when I did my review for the Batman. So I need to change that pronto. Change your rating or change your decision to skip half stars. Uh, no, my half. No, change the rating. I'm because I'm trying not to be a half star guy. I'm going to be a, a full star guy. It's all about emoji. Anyway, uh, so I was solid three star. I think after our conversation, I'm willing to bend a little bit and go four stars uh, and a heart. It's a it's a really solid movie. And that if my entire impression of frustration with the movie is bent on the last, you know, 10 minutes, uh, that might not be enough to merit an entire star rating, uh, a star level. I, I'm okay. I'm okay sticking with four stars. Okay. And not three. Four, star, four stars. Yeah, ten, minutes, ten minutes is not a full star, I don't think, in this case. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, and I didn't say mine's a heart also. So that leaves it at four and a quarter with a heart from us. So what did you think about Salam Bombay? We want to know. Hop into the Show Talk channel on Discord where we will be talking this week about this movie. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. Letterboxd giveth, Andrew. As Letterboxd always doeth. Uh, people are very thoughtful in their reviews on this movie. Did you they notice are. that? They not are. so. Not enough jokes. Where are the jokes? <laughs> uh, not here. Uh, I found. I found a. I found a one. I've got a one liner, and then you can do something thoughtful. Yeah, uh, let me do this one. I have Jackson who writes in with a four star who says, <laughs> "Well, mine's not thoughtful." <laughs> oh, okay. Pretend. Well, I'll pretend it is. Uh, Jackson writes in with a four star that says, uh, "Oh, so this is what Slumdog Millionaire wanted to be." I see now. <laughs> I disagree with that. I don't think this is what Slumdog Millionaire wanted to be. But I like that Jackson said that. What do you got? I also have a four star. Uh, this is by Vibhav Singh, who says the major difference between 400 Blows and Salam Bombay is that Jean-Pierre Léod was made a star, whereas Shafiq Syed became an auto rickshaw driver. So huh. true. You'd think that, uh, so this, that is true. This, this kid could have uh, gone somewhere. But yeah, he did. He's He's having a happy life as an auto rickshaw driver. Yeah. Good for him. All right. There it is. Thanks, Letterboxd. You're the best. I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms. But in August 2022, we switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM. And it's been a game changer. I love the Transistor allows unlimited podcasts and storage without extra charges. We can publish so much content. And we do. If you want to start up a podcast, do yourself a favor and host your show on Transistor. With their one-click publishing, you can get your new show onto all the major podcast directories effortlessly. And their website builder lets you quickly build custom sites for each show. The detailed analytics are invaluable, too. You can access all kinds of listener data anytime. Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better. After using countless hosting services over 15-plus years, Transistor has been, hands down, the best podcast partner for us. If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world, Go to thenextreel.com slash transistor and check it out. Support our show and support your own show by going to thenextreel.com slash transistor. Start growing your podcast today.